The following sermon audio is from The Source Church in Plainfield, Illinois. More information about The Source Church can be found at www.thesourcechurch.life. We are looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. And it reads, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hellfire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. <clears throat> First, I just want to say thank you uh, and pardon my little hoarseness here. I think uh, cold and allergies maybe are kicking in. But I want to say thank you for the prayers over the last few weeks <clears throat> for myself and for Jade, certainly, absolutely. Uh, she's, doing, she's doing okay. She's tired of all the pain meds, but uh, there are fewer and fewer of those. And a couple of days ago, we met a milestone. She actually asked me to put the walker away, so now she's only using a cane. So amen for that. Um, <clears throat> For those who aren't familiar, she just had knee surgery, and it was, um, it was quite a bit of a, a challenge. So I'll try to adjust this thing here. Um, right, as Chandra said, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're currently in Chapter 5. And uh, today I have a bit of a challenge. Uh, the, what we're talking about is anger. And uh, for me, it's a challenge because I don't see myself as an angry person. I don't see myself, I, I, I try to be pretty calm. So I was reaching, and as you'll see, um, <laughs> as God always does, when he speaks to you and reminds you of things, you, you have to stop and listen. But as we continue through through. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which many people call the greatest sermon on earth, um, I think each of you will find something that God is speaking to you about as well. And in the section that Pastor Scott covered last week, he taught us what Jesus meant by saying he came to fulfill the law. Lots of good teaching was going on there, and I, I won't repeat that. I won't re-preach what he did. He did an excellent job. But I do, want, before jumping in, I do want to repeat and get a running start from verse 20, the last verse that he covered last week. So verse 20, Jesus is speaking. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So on that note, let me just pause and approach God in prayer for us on behalf of us. Father God, thank you uh, for your blessings that you have poured out onto the earth. Uh, you has, have made 
righteousness a gift to us. So it was with joy, Father, that we hear that our righteousness can exceed those of the scribes and Pharisees. Lord, I pray that today the words that you have prepared will be incisive. I pray, Father, that many who have not thought about anger will have that on top of mind today after these words that you have prepared. So open our minds to hear your words, Father God. We praise your name. Amen. You have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Makes sense. Many of us feel a way about murder that it is the ultimate sin. But is it really? I mean, you heard the rest of the the passage that anger is being elevated to the same level of murder. So why don't we talk about that? The first thing is that in verse 20, we're hearing an impossible standard. And that very much would have shocked the crowd. To put it in perspective, the Torah, pardon me here. To put it into perspective, the Torah was summarized in a book called the Mishnah that had 800 pages. Then two commentaries were created called the Talmuds. These were written to explain the Mishnah, and each one having thousands of words. The scribes and the Pharisees were called to translate, to rewrite all of those words, and they were expected to know it. The Pharisees were expected to live it. So that was very much shocking to hear that you need to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. How am I going to do that? So when you, when you tell your middle schooler that they must know the Constitution law better than the Supreme Court before they can go into high school, that's the kind of shock that happened. I think that, high, that, that middle schooler is just going to give up right then and there. But Jesus has something else in mind. How could he possibly expect that from the average fisherman in Galilee? How could he expect them to know all the law, let alone to exceed the law? Spoiler alert, as we study this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see some surprising things coming from Jesus. He's going to pick apart and challenge everyone's understanding of law and righteousness. And he will do so without abolishing or changing the law. Is this really popping for... Pull it away from me. Okay. Okay, we'll try that. So today we're going to follow Jesus' outline as he talks about anger. We're going to be encouraged to acknowledge anger for what it is. And we're going to be prompted to reconcile anger with a sense of urgency. 
So again, you have heard that it was said you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable for judgment. When we hear that, we notice a couple of things right away. First, you have heard that it was said to those of old. That's the oral tradition. That's the oral law being passed down that you're hearing. You have heard that it was said means that's what God handed over to uh, Moses. That it was said for those of old, that's Moses. And it was passed down through generation. And because the law was not available to the average person, the Jewish scholarship wrote the Mishnah. And so that makes sense. Even today, we have many great theologians writing commentaries and summaries and helping us step through various passages in the Bible to understand it better. So that made sense. But what did not make sense is that they were elevating their summaries, their opinions, their words to the level of the law. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's not what the original law said. Yes, the sixth commandment states you shall not murder. Full stop, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. But it was delivered in the same context of I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt to set you apart so that you can be holy. You shall not murder. See that? I am the Lord your God. I brought you out to be holy. Therefore, you shall not murder. But when we take, if you do murder, you'll be liable to judgment. We're diluting the words that you shall not murder. By juxtaposing the two, we're, we're changing the picture. And at that point, the encouragement comes for keeping the commandment, not for obeying God. But that's not what Jesus is desiring of us. So instead of being obedient to God and doing the necessary work to obtain the reward, it, that's what we strive for. We do the work to get the reward. We don't do the work to be obedient to God. We don't hear him say, I am your God. I brought you out here. but it moves the definition from righteousness that is internally flourishing to a righteousness that is measured externally. That's not all. Jesus continues to shock the audience by equating anger with murder. In verse 22, he says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. The first part of the shock was that he said, notice those three words, but I say. Did you catch that? He just equated himself to God. When he said, you have heard that it was said in the days of old, he was talking about God. And he said, but I say. Jesus is putting the two things together. And one thing you'll find as we go through Matthew, Jesus is not shy about declaring his deity. He will come right out and say, I and the Father are one. 
And here he is speaking with authority that people recognized. And the, they did. They were, they were coming out of droves, not just because he was healing and performing miracles, but because he spoke with such authority. Secondly, Jesus used the same word to describe the consequences for murder as it is for anger. Some people might say, if the time is the same, the crime is the same, therefore anger equals murder. But seriously though, in Jesus' eyes, yes, being angry is the same as being a murderer. Both are sinful, and either one will make you less than righteous, blocking you from entering in the kingdom of heaven. Now, a minute ago, I, I mentioned that I had, a, I had a tough time finding examples of being angry. Wouldn't you know it? In the midst of preparing for this, a memory from 40 years ago came to mind. I was in U of I playing on their club soccer team. And this was before they, they even thought about doing varsity, so it didn't take much to make this club soccer team, so don't be surprised, I'm not that great. We're playing a home game against some other school. When early in the game, an opposing player walked up to me spat in his hand and wiped it on my face. I was livid. I, I, you can't imagine. The shock wore off in a couple of seconds and there I was chasing him around the field and there was the referee blowing the whistle running after us. I didn't catch him that day. But I, I shudder to think what would have happened if I did catch him. When I realized that what was in my heart that day, <laughs> it's surprising. Needless to say, the game was pretty much done because I spent the rest of the 90 minutes trying to maneuver myself to get close to him so that I can take care of business. <laughs> but the malice that was in my heart, as I remembered that, it's frightening. So if you think that anger is not equal to murder, think again what could have happened that day. That anger would have driven some college kid to murder. And we've seen that happen so often today. Puts a whole new perspective on righteousness, doesn't it? In fact, Jesus goes on to state that whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever calls someone a fool will be liable to hell. Now, insulting and calling someone a fool might not seem like much to us, but the word was used back then to heap abuse on someone. And in the honor society, as the Middle East tends to be, that's a big deal when you devalue someone, when you take away their name, when you remove their honor. And so the insults and the name calling was designed to do that. And where do those actions come from when you denigrate someone? Where does that come from? Deep in the heart, the same place as anger. In fact, it probably is all tied up in the same end result. Your insults, your sarcasm, your denigration of someone who is Imago Dei, made in the image of God. 
is the same as dehumanizing them, murdering them, removing their life from this world. So do you see where Jesus is going? What we knew, what the scribes and Pharisees thought they knew about righteousness is not the righteousness that he wants for us. To be sure, all of those sins are rooted in man's heart and are there when, sins, when a murder is committed. In Ecclesiastes, someone, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Going all the way back to Genesis then, in chapter 4, we see the first murder. And what was behind that murder? Anger. Cain and Abel were brothers, sons of Adam and Eve. Each one brought an offering to God. But God did not accept the offering from Cain. This made him angry to the point where he plotted and then murdered his brother. Now, it doesn't take much to imagine that Jesus taught on anger because it was a large problem in his day. And it is a large problem in our day today. You see it. Road rage. Political anger. School shootings. Super Bowl celebration shootings. Discord at home. Families and communities get torn apart and are dissolved because of unresolved anger or poured out anger. Okay. I get anger, but what does it mean to reconcile that anger? Well, it starts with confirming the anger's existence. So you confirm that you are an angry person or that you have anger or you have the potential for anger, like I do. Then you need to go to the next step, repent of that sin. It might involve reparations if the anger got to a point where you need to fix what you just broke. Undoing that damage or restoring that confidence, putting things back in the place to where it was before the anger blew up. And it might mean understanding how to avoid that anger, coming up with what are the triggers that were there before I got angry avoiding those things and actively working to remove those triggers and actively working to put yourself in a place of accountability. That's what we mean by reconcile. Sadly, the church is not immune from anger. So I'm going to pause for a second and I'm going to speak just briefly on that environment. First, the elephant in the room. Is anger really and truly a sin? After all, many of us we know what Jesus did when he went into the temple and he saw the money changers and he started tossing tables. Wasn't he angry when he did that? And yet Jesus did not sin. So is therefore anger sometimes not sin? True, yes. But if you think you can put your place in Jesus, okay, but if you think that anger that Jesus displayed was not because God was offended. His house of prayer had become a den of thieves charging too much for food, for the, the offering, for the, uh, uh, the animals to do sacrifice. If you think that you 
can be speaking for God and saying that this is offensive to God, then maybe you can be angry and not sin. You know, I, I grew up learning one thing. The surest way in the schoolyard to start a fight was to tell someone about his mother, to insult his mother, to say something bad. That's it. Gloves are off. You're both rolling. But are you really offending the person's mother at that point or offending the person himself? And that's what we're talking about if you think that you know exactly that God was just offended and therefore my hackles are up and therefore I can be angry and therefore I can go to war, think twice, think three times, think four times. So we always need to be careful about anger. It is so close, so close to murder. You see what Jesus is talking about now, and I'm sure you don't want to murder your loved ones. So why be angry? Why have that anger build up to the point where it becomes a hindrance to your relationship? So God himself confronted Cain in his anger and encouraged him to do well because sin was crouched at the door ready to devour him. That encouragement is the same for us. Be careful. Sin is at the door ready to devour you. As your pastors call to watch over those whom Christ has called, Know that we will confront anger and seek to broker reconciliation if it isn't already underway. We believe that starting with a biblical worldview is imperative when addressing sin. And as such, if you think you have a chronic anger issue, if you think you have a need for some help, come talk to one of your pastors first. If need be, we can even point to biblical counseling. But it is sin problem. So it needs to be addressed first as a sin problem. You've heard of the shirt button principle? You start buttoning your shirt and if that first button is off, the rest of the shirt is just, it's a mess. It's not, everything's going to be out of place. Anger is a sin problem and it needs to be addressed as a sin problem first and foremost. Now, lastly, no equivocation here. We will strive to protect, we, the pastors, will strive to protect the weak, the vulnerable, that we are called to be shepherds over. We will not have patience for any physical harm, for any abuse, be it physical, verbal, mental, within a household or within the membership. Okay, enough said. And back to the text. Jesus challenges us to recognize our anger. Understand that it needs to be reconciled and even gives the act of reconciliation a high priority in the place of the spiritual life. 
Do you see that in verse 24? Uh, verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, back then, the religious actions were not spread in, were not just squeezed into one hour. But if you are here and you find that you've been, you're so distracted that you weren't really worshiping, you don't even remember what the uh, confession that we read, what it was about, then maybe you should get up right now and leave and go and seek reconciliation. But better yet, though, make it a practice to regularly check yourself before coming to church, maybe even every morning when you set up a time for a devotion, you check. Are there any relationships that need to be addressed that day? Are you, have, did you, are you fostering any anger? It is that important. And it is urgent. It is a spiritual issue, needs to be addressed as such. Maybe, just maybe, this thing that your brother has against you is hindering your prayers. I was surprised when someone pointed out some logic to me some time ago. He says, you know, God is not obligated to hear the prayers of those of, non, of uh, sinners. But he is, he said he does hear the prayers of his children. But our prayers can be hindered. So I, it is my prayer that that's not the case for you, that you don't tie up your prayers with the things of this world. Free them up so that God can hear them, so to speak. Now, in one sense, I hope you really don't become good at reconciliation because that means that you've having, you're having to practice it a lot. But it is something to, that we need to, be, uh, to have prominent place in our lives. Recognize, acknowledge anger, and address it. Now in verses 23 and 24, Jesus described a relationship between two disciples, while in 25 and 26, the scenario that he's describing there is between a disciple and a non-disciple, with the non-disciple taking the disciple to court. In this case, it makes sense for the, non, for the disciple to seek reconciliation before going to the court. So the disciple took the initiative to reconcile that dispute and he be probably would have benefited because he would not get thrown by the judge to the prisoner, to the, the guard in jail so that he can pay off any. We don't know. Jesus is a master at parables and word pictures, and he leaves things out on purpose. And he, we don't know exactly what the scenario was there. But yes, the disciple could have benefited, but that's not his motivation. That should not be our motivation to be shrewd. Our motivation should be peacemakers. 
Blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. The sons of God are righteous. So that is our motivation. And as Pastor Scott preached, this righteousness that we're talking about is in the upside-down kingdom of heaven. Man of this world is not going to understand. It makes no sense that the motivation to settle is to make yourself right with God as opposed to that I'm going to have a financial benefit. That will make no sense. But Jesus is not talking about an outer righteousness that shows just how good we look, how good we are, but an inner righteousness that shows God's goodness and graciousness and greatness. Because he is good, God wants you to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And because he is gracious, he sent his son to fulfill that law so that you can exceed their righteousness. And because he is great, he has seen fit to it that the work is complete. So his graciousness poured out onto us just by itself would just be like our grandfather shaking his pocket, the coins in his pocket, but the benevolent grandfather, come on, here's a dollar, go buy some ice cream. Oh no, it doesn't cost a dollar anymore? What? That's just graciousness by itself. But graciousness wrapped up with greatness, the power to do whatever it takes. Problem solved. So if you have a sin problem, if you have an anger problem, and you felt like, I can't get there. He has enabled you to get there. He has made it so because he brought his son down to earth to be that sin for us. It is accomplished. It is done. And because it is done, we can celebrate. And because God is good, we need to just celebrate that and remember that all of that is wrapped up in his goodness. He has no malice for you. He wants you to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. He has enabled you to do that. 